Welcome to Block Runners. I'm Professor K, the Shanghaipreneur. And I'm Mr. Lowe. Blockchain Dev. And I'm DigiB, Podcast Boss. On this show, we're going to highlight the good and call out the bad in blockchain so you can well prepare for the inevitable future. Hey, everybody, welcome to Block Runners. This is our third show, which we're calling Blockchain is a Hard Forking Thing to Do. And we're going to be talking about forking. And we're going to start off with the most basic question what the fork is a fork? Now, we're going to be talking about this from two perspectives primarily, the finance perspective and a developer perspective. So to get started with the juicy, 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 juicy part, Nick, why don't you start off by talking about, from a financial perspective, what the fork is a fork? Well, from my perspective as a finance professor, uh, the first thing that I thought about when I heard this term fork was, wow, I get some free money. Uh, free money. It's awesome, dude. Free money. Uh, I held I held some Bitcoin before the Bitcoin cash fork. And then a couple months later, because I ha- held it on Coinbase, uh, I got some free Bitcoin cash. And, you know, I think most people's perspective on forks is pretty much in line with this. So you kind of you holding like if you're holding a stock like, say, Yum China is or, or Yum Foods, which is the company that it holds a uh, that holds a uh, Pizza Hut and uh, KFC and um, one other com- uh, Taco Bell. Um, and if say they wanted s- say they wanted to spin out one of those companies and make their own stock there, you could hold your Yum China stock, and then you'd get a free share in Taco Bell as well. Uh, so that's kind of the idea here, and uh, it really was part of the reason that Bitcoin grabbed the public conscious back in August of 2017, because, you know, a lot of the people that you, that that were in my community at least were like, Oh, you better buy the Bitcoin before the fork, because you're going to get Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash. And, you know, that's going to be a lot of money. You know, Bitcoin's worth $2,000 right now. And, you know, Bitcoin cash could be maybe worth $2,000 one day too. And, you know, so if you're a Bitcoin maximalist, uh, which is, uh, what most people are that held Bitcoin for a long time. Uh, they basically just sold their Bitcoin cash and used the proceeds to buy uh, more Bitcoin. So that's one perspective you can do. You could take free money and you can increase your stack of Bitcoin. And another... Now, Nick, I'm sorry. I got to stop you here. I think we're getting the horse before the carriage because I think a lot of people listening don't understand fundamentally what a fork is. And so, Amal, I'm going to ask you to step in real quickly and give us like a, you know, a pre-K definition of a fork. Maybe, maybe give us third grade, third grade. And then, Nick, I'm going to come back to you about the financial implications of forks, because I think a lot of people like this idea about free money and that piques their interest. But a lot of people just don't understand still what the fork is a fork. So, Amal, can you help us out here a little bit? Sure. So a blockchain on one level you could think of as a community of people that are working with certain versions of software to make the blockchain happen. And <clears throat> when you talk about software, their versions, their protocols, that all that all go into what that um what that system is or what that software is. And when you need to change or upgrade um the software, you you release a fork and uh, there, there's a soft fork and there are hard forks. Hard forks will create two competing 
blockchain uh, or cryptocurrencies and soft forks can be viewed as just an upgrade of the current system. Does that make sense? All right, that does. And let me try to bring it in from a, another perspective entirely. As an editor, nonlinear editors use node-based editing sometimes in order to make changes in, in your edit, in your timeline. So instead of having a single timeline, you can have nodes that split off from your edit and you can have two different versions. You can have a version A and a version B. In version A, maybe your color scheme is you know, one set of, uh, of, a, of a color treatment. And you have a version B that's like an entirely different set of color treatment that may be more preferred by a producer. And depending on the producer who's on the project, whoever keeps building on that version, right, then it verifies the earlier version. And then eventually you, you have enough you have enough work done on either A or B to make A or B the predominant edit, and then you just run with that edit, and the other edit just kind of dies away. Is that, does that kind of explain kind of like what a fork is, where you have a, a new version of something or a new software of something, new rules about something on a blockchain, uh, on kind of this linear, kind of agreed-upon consensus on, on what is or what is not? It's kind of like uh, Shakespearean in a way. To be or not to be. Am I going way off the deep end here, or am I close? No, you're you're pretty darn close there, uh, Chris. Um, yeah, so you're able to branch off, and each branch or fork is a uh, is its own entity, uh, and it's its own product, um, and they can go their separate ways in blockchain or in a blockchain environment. And then. Once they've forked, then they're basically competing for each other's community members at that point. And so then it's like a popularity contest almost. Yeah. And Nick, just getting back to your point about free money, um, it's interesting that <coughs> what you, you said was something that I observed as well. People were saying, buy it, you know, buy Bitcoin before the fork happens because, you know, you're going to get, you, if you have an account with money in it, you will suddenly have twice as much it's almost like a split, but not really. You just have uh, access to extra um, assets. You could choose to do something with it. You could either go the long, you could either go long with it on that new competing uh, system, or you could decide, hey, I'm going to cash out early and give me whatever freebies I got, and then invest it back into where you feel uh, would benefit yeah, the, you. The finance term is is called a split off. A split off. Um, yeah, so you would have an existing company that maybe they don't want to have uh, that particular asset on the books anymore, and so they create a new ticker symbol to have, and then they put, shove all the assets into that ticker symbol, and they sort of disengage uh, from running that particular brand, and they they give everyone who owns their stock the stock of the split off company. Got it. Okay, so that's what I was trying to get at when uh, when I was discussing with you earlier, like an IPO of a subsidiary. So, Nick, I want to ask you, you brought up Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, which I think has become the classic example of what is a fork. So I want to get back to that. And all this free money, what happens, though, if Bitcoin Cash dies as a blockchain? Do you lose that free money? Yeah, so uh, the Bitcoin maximalists predicted that Bitcoin Cash wouldn't do so well. So, you know, as soon as they got their Bitcoin cash in their wallets, they, they just sent it to an exchange and converted it back into Bitcoin. And, and the way that kind of works is, 
you know, if you're holding your Bitcoin off exchange and you're not putting it on Binance or Huobi or something of that nature or Coinbase like I was, um, if you have existing Bitcoin before the split, the split was uh, July 31st. So if you held Bitcoin on July 31st, then on August 1st, you could wake up on that the day of the fork and then you could download the Bitcoin cash wallet and then input the same details that you had uh, in your public and private key for your Bitcoin and then input that in the Bitcoin cash wallet and you'd have Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash. Hmm. Now, so, so that was kind of, uh, you know, I talked about one way to, to approach a fork is to just sell the, the new coin for the coin that you really had. But the other way is like, and we do this, um, uh, another thing that, uh, that, that you may consider doing is just holding on to that particular new coin and see maybe it will turn into the next Bitcoin. Who really knows? I mean, 10, 15 years down the line, um, Bitcoin Cash could be a really big chain and they would be worth ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 per coin and you could just have it. So some people, uh, they look at it like that. We're like, I'm just going to hold on to this stuff because there's no way for me to really predict what coin is going to be the dominant coin. I personally uh, think that you know you need to do your research and on each individual fork that you encounter you have to make this decision should i sell the new coin or do i want to wait and see um or do i want to hold it for a long long time it's it's going to have to be on each individual fork that that comes your way so let me ask you a personal question what did you do when bitcoin cash happened and did you do you regret it or you, did you like what you did uh, I totally regret not selling my Bitcoin Cash. I just have a little bit of Bitcoin Cash in my Coinbase wallet, and it's just kind of sitting there. I think at one point uh, that Bitcoin Cash was worth $3,500 per coin, and now it's worth like $500 per coin. Ouch. So I, I definitely ma- made the wrong decision in not selling it as soon as I got it. We live in the I, I have a follow-up. Yeah. I have a follow-up, yeah. Nick. Um, yeah. You mentioned... Uh, you have to investigate and do research, but what are some of the things you look for when you evaluate these um, these forks or should the scenario go about? I, I have one thing that I think about, and the only thing I would I would look at is to see how engaged the community is and what kind of problems um, the large the community at large is trying to solve with that coin. Yeah, I mean, so so I think in. in I want to ask you a question as an Ethereum guy, but like for me, I just kind of look at two things. Number one, uh, I think there's really two basic reasons for these forks. Uh, number one, it, there may be philosophical differences uh, between some of the developers, and I think that's totally legitimate. Like I think the Bitcoin versus Bitcoin Cash fork uh, at its base is just a disagreement in the developer community about the block size of the Bitcoin blockchain. And the, the sort of core guys believe this should be one megabyte and the sort of new bitcoin cash guys felt like block the each individual block which is uh, made every 10 minutes should be bigger and should be able to get bigger as the blockchain uh, conducted more activity Uh, that to me sounds very much like a philosophical difference and then that is very much why i held on to my bitcoin cash even though it ended up being not a very good financial decision the second reason that i think these kinds of forks happen is because they're just complete scams. Uh, so after the Bitcoin Cash uh, fork in August of 2017, there was a whole litany of other forks like 
Bitcoin Diamond and Bitcoin uh, Private and Bitcoin Dark and Bitcoin Classic and Bitcoin Gold and Bitcoin Later. There's even one called Bitcoin Lightning. And, and you know, maybe we get some of the people on here telling us that those are legit projects, but I think most of pe most people in the in the crypto community at large would agree that these are just cash grabs and i think if you get those free coins you should definitely just sell them and that's what i did with my bitcoin gold i just got rid of it as soon as uh i saw it in my binance account and i said hey bye bye and i <laughs> i got more bitcoin the other big fork that happened in crypto history is the one that happened way back like almost a whole generation ago back on july 20th 2016 and that is, uh, how would you characterize the split, Amal, between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic? Um, it's, it's funny that you ask me, and I have to disclose, I really didn't follow it uh, beyond the headline or the lead of a story. Um, what, I, what I know is that uh, there was this DAO, uh, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, I think it was, that... Um, they wanted to create a, a venture, uh, some sort of venture for people to invest and uh, uh, to, to propose ideas, and they could get funding. And you could, and uh, you could, uh, no, how, what happened? Eventually, they they had some money on escrow, and due to a a weakness or an an exploit in the Solidity contract at that time, uh, someone was able to drain the funds of uh of the account and this created some sort of moral dilemma you know someone exploited a weakness in the system uh to to benefit themselves at the expense of a lot of investors so there was one group that said hey you wrote bad code well i'm paraphrasing or this is my understanding of it i could be totally wrong but um i felt like there was one group that said hey you made this mistake you got to live with it. Um, I don't know. And then there's the other group that said, "Oh, you know what? This is this is wrong. <clears throat> you know, the the system itself was was at fault. Uh, let's uh, roll back to a block before this happened and continue from there." So the community decided. One community decided to do that. Another community decided to go the other way. And then you have two. Now you have two competing um, communities. That's pretty much how I understand it too. And the Ethereum community, uh, the one led by Vitalik and Consensus, has turned out to be a much more robust and more active community. And the Ethereum Classic community is still going strong, but uh, just doesn't have as many developers developing on that chain. Um, although it's interesting to note that both Ethereum and Ethereum Classic and Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash are available to, for purchase on Coinbase, which is a very interesting, uh, there's, considering there's only five coins available on Coinbase and the fact that these two pairs of forks are on there, uh, I think it's important that we talk about these, uh, these two particular forks in history. It's oh, just one thing that resonated with me was, as a developer, or you know, if I were rich, um, and I wanted to invest and do something, and really uh, commit my resources to it, I would feel better with uh, Ethereum, the Ethereum community that rolled back and said, hey, um, this will, you know, if it was an exploit, let's uh, 
do the right thing. At least there was an indication that um, th there was a chance that this is the kind of community I want to be in. And if something catastrophic happened, that I that uh, there was an exploit that just drained all my funds, that you know there was a precedent that I could make a case and try to recover, versus you know oh you done fucked up. Um, uh, sorry, thank you for the language. Cash. Language. Yeah, you can keep that out. But um, but that that kind of makes me uh, biased towards one uh, one environment over another. You know, I so you like the blockchain, the warm and fuzzy blockchain that takes care of you. Well, I want the moral blockchain or the one that's closer to my <laughs> values. When something like a, an exploit like that, I think it just it just feels wrong to me. Um, other people feels would feel differently, and that's you know they're right. But for me, I would want to have this kind of uh, arbitration uh, possibility. And that to me sounds exactly like a philosophical difference. It is totally. Yeah. And uh, I would rather invest. <laughs> I would rather invest my uh, money in one philosophy than another. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to step in here and, uh, and reel us back a little bit. Before the show, we were talking about whether or not to talk about some of the origins of the word fork and social software development versus blockchain, and I shot it down. But now that, I've been, now that we've been talking for a bit, I think it is important that we, we talk about definitions of forking a little bit more deeply. So, Amal, why don't you touch upon you know, the, the social software development definition of forking and the blockchain definition of forking and and the similarities and differences between the two to allow people have to have like a, a more deep understanding of fork. I think as far back as uh, the the Unix uh, Unix operating system, uh, there was a concept of what fork was, and that was the ability to create a duplicate of something. Uh, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but if you if you wanted a, a duplicate of something, it was you generally forked it. And then each one of them would go about and do their own thing. Kind of a general in generalities of what you touched on in uh, your node linear um, uh, editing model, and what Nick talked about in the financial uh, uh, split off of a of a blockchain. In there, there there's a system, social uh, software development uh, popularized by uh, this product called Git was written by Linus Torvalds that allowed people to collaborate in a decentralized manner uh, efficiently and it is it is the standard with which people contribute to open source software or even private software uh, a private group would distribute it amongst themselves so the model that git git uh, repositories use is that someone would create a project and we'll call it the OP the original project and collaborators would come around and fork uh, a copy of that project for themselves, meaning that they now have their own uh, copy of this project. And they're free to do whatever they want with it. Uh, but the, the most common use case is that someone comes in, they'll fork it, they'll say, oh, you know what, I think it would be better if we did this. And they would do it, and then they would submit that change back to the original project or the OP to be incorporated in the uh the in in uh in the new pro in the old project or the the project they're working on 
Um, also, to take your example uh, before uh, you were talking about editing, uh, imagine you had A and B, and then there was another director that came around and said, hey, I want to incorporate these new scenes. With Git, you would have that would you would have A, B, and C branches, and at a certain point, a, a developer could come in and say, you know what, I really like what's happening in B and C. I want every I want to combine those two into another branch, and Git allows you to take all the changes from those two branches and combine them seamlessly into a new branch. So you would have the new scenes uh, and all the other developments in branch B in a in a new branch. So that's kind of how software is made, and that's where the term fork came from. It's not just free money. I think that's a really cool background that a lot of people kind of gloss over in the crypto world. It totally did. Uh, and I, we, I guess we already talked about uh, the blockchain definition of forking uh, and, and how that's applied, and it's a consensus-based um, decision, really, on, on the communities and miners that support the chains, whether or not a block A or a block B is going to be uh, is going to survive and continue. Um, now, I want to I want to keep moving on to something that Nick touched upon, but we didn't really get into deeply. <clears throat> One of the principles of the show, Block Runner, is that we're going to be trying to delineate between the good and the bad of blockchain, and unfortunately, there's a lot of bad to parse through uh, in blockchain with forks. Uh, there's there's been a lot of forks. There's the Bitcoin dark, the Bitcoin diamond, the Bitcoin gold, the Bitcoin private. There seems to be 20 different other kinds of Bitcoin forks that have happened. Uh, but the question is, from the investment community and the development community, what's the true motivation of these projects? Are they legitimate? Are they short-term cash grabs? Are they scams? How do you navigate this this environment? I think we need to touch on some things a little bit more before we address that and talk about forks a little bit more. And Let's do that. Fundamentally, what they are is they're a mechanism for change in the system. Um, right now, we have uh, they're moving from proof of work, uh, the proof of work uh, model on Ethereum, and they're using these forks, the hard forks, to roll out tests. There's a test network called. Um, I think it's Ropstein, or I think it's yeah, Ropstein. And they they are uh, committing to a hard fork to the new uh, protocol for this uh, for consensus, and this will allow developers to experiment and uh, take their contracts out for a ride and 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 make sure that they're safe for publishing uh, on that new system. And this this type of forking uh, on a test network allows you to gain confidence in the new uh, protocols. So they are a mechanism for change, and they can be utilized to gain to to develop confidence in your in 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 the system. Yeah, and, and sometimes they can be a bit of a hassle as the chain adapts to the new rules. Like for recently. Recently, Steam had its 20th successful hard fork, um, and it wasn't a malicious hard fork. It was just an upgrade of the code, and, uh, but everyone had to take down their, their block producers and, and re-upload new sets of software and, 
it was very disruptive to the community for about a week. But then afterwards, uh, you definitely have a more robust blockchain that can handle much more growth, which is basically the reason why you would conduct these forks uh, if you're just trying to do uh, upgrades. So, you know, while, while it's happening, it, it may be uncomfortable, but in, in the long run, forks are definitely necessary Yeah, that from the perspective of, of having to upgrade. Yeah, that mechanism of change. And there are two types of upgrade. There could be uh, upgrades where you have to upgrade hardware or you have to upgrade a new version of the software. And those are costs that the community has to consider um, when they roll these things out. So forks are useful. In fact, you know, they're planned for. Yeah. And so going back to, to the, the good and the bad argument, um, I think a good rule of thumb for investors out there is to just check the GitHub. So if you have some coins from a fork, like Bitcoin Gold or Bitcoin Dark or Bitcoin Diamond, and you have no idea what this project is trying to do, just roll on over to their GitHub and see if there's active development. If you see that there are people uh, doing pull requests and trying to update the software, then, you know, hey, maybe it's worth taking a deeper dive on and to see if you want to hold on to those coins. But if you roll over there and you find out you have some Bitcoin Diamond you didn't know about and you haven't seen anybody working on that uh, chain for six months on their GitHub, you should sell it. And if you check the CEO's LinkedIn and you see, oh, he started two other projects since he started Bitcoin Dark, well, then you should sell it because that means that people are not committed to that project and it most likely was not uh, motivated by pure uh, open source ideals. It was probably a cash grab. So those are just two little tricks that I use. Is I look I look on LinkedIn and check out the leadership and I look on the GitHub to see if there's any activity on the chains. You know, that's a that's an interesting uh, way you uh, evaluate stuff, um, Nick. And that's the way uh, developers evaluate uh, projects, uh, especially in the Node community where everything's on GitHub. If you, you're looking for something to solve a particular problem that you're, that'll contribute to your project, you go out there and that's something you learn over time, you know. Check to see the activity on your dependencies. Make sure that they're active, there are contributors, they're taking pull requests, and issues are not piling up. Um, you're basically looking for developer and contribution activity to gauge. Yeah, why would why would you spend any time on something that no one else cares about? You know, I mean, part of the reason to do these things is to get better at your craft. And if you can't get any valuable feedback from people who are committed to this particular project, then it's really a waste of time. And it's definitely not an investment for you. Yeah. And also, just as a side note, that's why uh, social projects, social software projects like uh, GitHub that facilitate uh, social projects is, uh, has been so successful. Now, because we're going to try to keep this show short, I'm not going to ask you, Amal, to continue talking about proof of work and define that and compare it to proof of stake and talk about that. I feel like that we can do that as perhaps our next show because it's a very important concept to, to define and put out there. Uh, but I want to continue with our, our current task of describing forks. Now, there's different kinds of forks. There's soft forks, hard forks, unintentional forks, intentional forks. Do you want to run through the different types of forks and kind of give us a, 
a high level uh, understanding of the different types of forks that can occur. So let's just talk about the unintentional forks. Um, this, this can happen in a uh, proof of work uh, system, consensus system uh, where two miners simultaneously find and broadcast a new block to the network. Now some miners on the network will receive one of the new blocks and others will receive the other and they'll both start mining on it and as a result you'll have two concurrent chains that are constructed with slightly different history. Now the system has a protocol in place that nodes generally accept, well not generally, they accept the longest chain as the valid chain. chain. Over time one chain will get ahead of the others and grow and it'll be accepted as the source of truth or the soul chain again. Also like uh, it's, it's noted in the documentation that uh, there's a general rule to wait for six block confirmation. If you have six blocks confirmations after your transaction was posted in one block, the chances that your transaction resides on the longest block is mm, accepted to be 100% virtually. So in the Bitcoin world, that would be one hour. <laughs> yeah, 15. Yeah, is it 15 minutes? It's 10 minutes oh, per 10 block minutes. in Bitcoin. Oh, okay, yeah, roughly an hour. All right, so then you have uh, soft, uh, soft forks on, which is, I would say, a type of restrictive or backward compatible, uh, backwards compatible with the old chain where you have new block rules that are more strict and they tend to follow a subset of the old block rules or protocols so they can coexist in the same chain. And miners can choose to adopt the change if they want to. I mean, over time, as more miners uh, adopt it or choose to adopt it, if you get to a certain threshold, then the entire network will upgrade to it. And hard forks, this is... Uh, when you have non, uh, you have an incompatible, uh, you, you're introducing incompatible changes with the current system, and usually through upgrades, and this upgrade would cause nodes to reject uh, blocks generated by the old chain, and the new chain, and the new, uh, the new protocol may be rejected by the old nodes. So all the nodes have to simultaneously switch to, to, to the new. Um, to the new software in order to continue generating uh, blocks and coming to consensus. It's kind of the equivalent of you have to download the new uh, Microsoft Office and then shut down your computer and restart it. That's kind of what a hard fork is in, in, in basic rule, basic idea of it, I think. And if you have a whole network of these kind of computers and, and 40 of them restart with no issue, and then 10 of them decide, hey, we don't like the new Microsoft Office. We're going to use keep using the old Microsoft Office. That's where you have the hard, the sort of contentious hard fork where you get new coins. Yeah. Hard forks are not always bad. No. So, fact, so what was what was Bitcoin Cash? Was that a soft fork, hard fork, unintentional, or an intentional fork? A hard fork. That was a hard fork. Was it intentional? Yes. Yes. It was an intentional hard fork. So that means that the previous uh, blockchain after Bitcoin Cash was tried to be made invalid by Bitcoin Cash, but it didn't succeed 
No. And then, so they're... No, this no? Was... no. No. So Correct what, what... me. Correct me. So, so when you fork a chain, the 17 million pr- Bitcoin that was mined before still exists on that chain. It's just that some of the computers or the nodes, if you will, that are running on that chain disagree with some of the protocol. So they shut down and they remove their hash power from the Bitcoin blockchain. And then they upload a new software, which is, has the new protocol in it, very similar to the Bitcoin one, but slightly different in few regards. And then they restart, and then they're now dedicating their hashing power to a new blockchain. And so that's where you have the contentious hard fork. Every single, that's why you get the free coins, because all the 17 million Bitcoin that were exist in existence before the hard fork are now also on the new chain uh, in the history of the Bitcoin cash fork. So those become 17 million Bitcoin cash. And then they fork off, and then there's a new history being created on both chains. But they have a shared history. Got it. I feel like uh, I'm learning a lot today. Is there anything about forks that I should have asked or that we should have talked about both Amal and Nick that uh, we have not yet because we're, we're already over our 20-minute uh, goal. We're at about 30, 35 now, and I want to wrap this up. So let's let's do some kind of final thoughts on forks here. Uh, no, I think uh, I I don't think we can uh, completely cover what forks mean, and there are plenty of resources that are uh, that I would recommend you looking at, and uh, we'll add them to the show notes. Nick, you got anything else? I think forks, uh, like everything in blockchain, can be good and can be bad. And uh, if you have any other questions like this that you're struggling with in the crypto universe, please reach out to one of us on LinkedIn or, or however else you can contact us, maybe face-to-face, oh my God, uh, and we'll try to do a show like this and, and try to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, we're going to put our social media tags in the show notes uh, with this next release so you guys can find us, whether it's on Twitter, on LinkedIn, or anywhere else, and ask us some follow-up questions. We're happy to share as ever we can. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. This has been a great show. This is the Block Runners signing off, and we'll see you... On the moon.